Welcome to another RTAF podcast episode. Thank you for being here. I'm Andrew Norris, your host as always. And this week we are talking with NFN Callion. I found out about Callion's work on Instagram a couple years ago and it just blew me away. I first saw his work in the painting medium and it's hard to describe but basically it's it's like a sampling of anything from classical renaissance paintings to comic books and landscape paintings he samples artists ranging from Caravaggio, Rubens, Dali, Alphonse Mucha, Albert Bierstadt, and of course Stan Lee and whoever the DC comic artists were and are. Anyway, you can find little hidden gems in all his paintings that will make you smile, make you question, make you really fascinated with his work. And I have a video for this episode because we did it over Zoom. The audio in the beginning has a bit of a glitch, but we clear that up as quickly as we can. And it's smooth Zoom audio sailing from then on out. In this episode, we talk about Callion's story growing up and learning how to make photorealistic drawings by age 13. Um, We talk about separating the art from the artist. We talk about the idea of free will. Callion schools me on uh, NFTs, which stands for non-fungible tokens. It's basically a way for digital artists mostly to create and sell one of ones on the old blockchain. Exciting stuff. Exciting new realm. And... I think that's about it. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think you're going to get a kick out of it. Learn about a really great artist, really talented dude. Anyway, let's go ahead and jump right in. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, Callion, right? Is that what I yes, call it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, thanks for coming on the podcast. And thank you for having me. We've we've followed each other and been in contact for years now. I feel like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. At least over a year. Um, I think I. I don't know how I discovered you. It was probably just on Instagram, and your work just immediately blew me away because I recognized all these like, um, like the mashup kind of remix sampling style you have with like Renaissance paintings and, and comic books and, you know, current contemporary artists like Murakami and, and, um, what's that guy? Jeremy Geddes. Oh yeah. yeah, The spaceman or the astronaut. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Big props, big shouts to you and your work. And uh, thanks, brother. Yeah. So, um, usually, so I, I have questions for I have questions for you as this goes on because I actually yeah. have been thinking about your work quite a bit. So. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm curious. 
but we we go at your pace, but like we'll get into it. <laughs> I appreciate that actually because it it makes for a richer conversation. Um, yeah. When when the guests have some inquiry, you know. And we can have like a, a back and forth back rather and forth, than yeah. it just being like a straight interview, you know, which is fine yeah. too. But um, yeah, so usually I just start with like uh, like your backstory. What was what was your childhood like? Were you a were you a weird kid? Were were you like <laughs> did you fit in or? Uh, yeah, I think I was. I guess I was. That's I've never been asked questions before that's kind of cool like art interviews i was talking about uh art this is uh, the more personal stuff weird kid yeah i was weird yeah, hey, hang guy. on one second can you i don't know where your mic is on your computer it should be on my headphones oh, okay is it yeah it's good am now. i coming through yeah you are okay. you were you were, kind of, you were kind of a little a little technical difficulties okay. there but that's all right uh yeah but i was uh, i was a weird kid i would say that that's <laughs> that's an accurate descriptor yeah uh and i was an artist uh i knew i wanted to be an artist from like and my dad tells a story that i was uh trying to draw a circle starting at the age of two and oh, it would wow. just look like this it would just be like a straight line <laughs> but it would slowly start curving curving until i got all the way around but uh yeah i was always persistent and focused on technique and from a really young age i can't remember that but in school and everything i was a strange guy but i was also an athlete Mm-hmm. Um, so I was involved in sports and everything at, uh, yeah. And I, I grew up mostly in Wisconsin. My parents met in New York state and I was born there. And then my dad got a job in Wisconsin and then we did go, my dad's from India. We went back to India for a couple of years. Okay. He would be working there for a while, but, uh, so I grew up between those two places. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Um, did, so you were making art very early did you i'm assuming you took art classes because your stuff is just so photorealistic it's pretty incredible i I think i always took art in school but Mm -hmm. i really think uh, it was just my own discipline and for some reason i was young i was obsessively disciplined really it was it's good for me now because i like because it all worked out but i'm less disciplined now but it doesn't matter as much like i have the discipline to push through things but i don't have that discipline to get it exactly right now it has to be right like that stuff drives me crazy now yeah but i've gotten to the point where i'm close enough that's fine yeah but uh until i was about 13 i was very obsessive with technique like when i would make a drawing i remember not wanting to be i didn't want anybody to be able to see any pencil marks i wanted to just be totally smooth Mm. any gradient yeah everything that yeah but um and i'm not that way anymore thank god but it drives (laughs) you crazy yeah so so i think it was mostly self-taught though i did try to take every art class nice so when did you develop the ability i guess to to make things look so real and just spot on because as we'll see later like your work is almost like exact it's a mashup of course but it's almost parts of it are like exact replicas of really famous paintings and i'm just curious about that yeah i think i was always kind of obsessed with learning other people's techniques Mm -hmm. so when i was really young that would be uh it was like comic book guys like i'd look at all the different comic book guys i'd be like this is how this one draws and then i draw like him and this how this one draws and i draw like him and then 
Um, as I got older, I started becoming interested in realism. So I would say probably that age 13 was probably when I was able to make something and it was photo real. Like you'd look at the photo and that side by side and you say, oh, it's exactly, it's exactly the same. And uh, that's actually when I lost interest in art. Because <laughs> like maybe I felt like uh, I didn't know what to do from where to go from there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have anything to say. Yeah, more. yeah. I said, well, that's it. I've, I've won. <laughs> and then it wasn't till half a I think I was 26 by the time I, I got back into it. I mean, I, I took classes in high school and then in college I majored in art, although I didn't go to an art school, mm-hmm. but I didn't take it seriously. And I would, didn't even do anything. I, I did more conceptual work. Okay. I'd be sticking things to the wall with thumbtacks and peeing on it or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah, we we have like pretty similar stories, except for the part where, um, like now I'm really I'm not struggling, but I'm learning how to be disciplined. Like when I was younger, I was just like ah, like you know. I was actually curious. When did you start? Like so, like very similar. Like I was, I was definitely drawn. I I didn't have any sort of like photorealism down by the time I was 13 or anything like that but I was definitely drawing a lot um up until about that age and that's when kind of like you know hormones kicked in and social pressures really started to mount and I sort of I you said you were involved with sports and and so I sort of was like well you know like seems like everybody's playing sports so I guess I will too Right. And I was never like a great athlete or anything, but uh, uh, I actually like quit the football team when I was, you know, senior in high school. I was going to finally start. Um, for some reason, they had me at tight end. And like, I, did, I don't know if you can tell by my face. Yeah, right. Like, I'm skinny. I like have trouble putting on weight. I probably shouldn't have been playing football in the first place, <laughs> but it was just kind of one of those sports where like you didn't have to be super athletic, like basketball or or, or soccer or something. And like I could right. catch I could catch the shit out of the oh, ball, okay. but like yeah. I wasn't fast. So they were like, I guess you're tight end. But uh, yeah, so I didn't start painting till I was 26. The exact like same age you were talking about. So that's, it's pretty interesting. And what were your influences? Like I've been, I, I, as far as I can understand, a lot of the visionary art crowd, that's what they call it, yeah. is doing a similar thing to you. Do you see yourself as a part of that? Did you, were you influenced by that? Uh, or yeah. did you just move into, yeah. No, no, definitely. Um, in, in college, like I, my friend had like an Alex Gray book and, you know, okay. we were experimenting with psychedelics when we were, actually still in high school but like by that time it was like i was like oh you know and i just started drawing again and uh it wasn't like a conscious thing i wasn't like i'm gonna be a visionary artist you know but (laughs) right just kind of the 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 and people listening to this i think that my audience is mostly like mostly festival kind of centric this this sort of like bohemian traveling uh festival artist or performer right. you know so they'll they'll know what i'm talking about so 
since I was already sort of embedded in that scene, like big lover of music. I, I still play by myself, but was in a band and, and would go to, what do you play? Uh, guitar, bass, uh, I got a a little melodica and a xylophone too. So, you know, fun stuff by myself. I don't really try and make anything out of it anymore, but yeah, it's just, I think it was a product of, of, just cause and effect just like where I was at and you know at the time the internet wasn't really the internet like it is today so I was just kind of influenced by um I guess first of all like psychedelics and that that sort of like trans trans self experience you know does that still heavily influence you? Do you feel like that's not, there or is it? Not as much anymore because, um, I don't know. I'm very like, uh, uh, polar with it where some of my work is, is very narrative and like I'm trying to like say something with it. Um, but then other work, more of the new stuff is, is just kind of abstract forms and shapes making this, sort of strange space this liminal space that we you know that we can't really put into words um but yeah i'm not uh, you know like i don't know the the whole the whole festival scenes a it's it's pretty hilarious because you're interacting with people in the moment while you're painting there's like really no barrier you know do you, how do you do with live painting because that it's it has its pros and cons you know like some of the stuff that i've created i've never would have created without that context you know what i mean um but then it's also like you get like tripping kids who are at their first festival coming up to you and like looking at a row of painters and being like did you paint all of these it's like a running joke in our community it's pretty funny um but yeah, yeah. It's interesting that like we kind of have the same sort of like age timeline, you know? I knew I had known, I don't know how that you had started like professionally a little bit later cuz a lot of guys they'll be 21, 22 and they're saying, "Okay, I'm right." I'm, like as soon as they get out of college, they're they're off. That was the plan. Yeah, yeah. I 26 yeah. is a weird age. It's yeah. not a midlife crisis. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it's like did a little wandering there after, yeah. after college and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of my story. Thanks for asking. Yeah, well, I, the visionary art community was one I was kind of, I mean, I had seen Alex Gray, but I really wasn't aware of it before I got on Instagram. And I think, um, at first, I think, and I think it was mistakenly so. Uh, I have no problem categorizing Mara, but I think people thought that I was of the same uh, ilk. But I'm really, I don't, I mean, I love it, but I don't think that I'm thinking about it the same way. I'm not part of that scene at all. Right. Um, yeah. So. Um, I talked about this a couple of podcasts ago with um, a producer. Uh, he goes by Supercilious. And okay, he was kind of saying like, you know, there's this sort of like this spiritual um, like explicitly spiritual bent to visionary art mm-hmm. and it again has its its pros and cons but uh, one of the cons that that I agree with him with is that it, it kind of turns into this sort of like 
rev- brand reverence, you know, and and it has like sort of and I, I and I'm not trying to bash on visionary art because it's great, <laughs> but like it it has like some characteristics of a cult, yeah, a little bit sometimes, and and even like the music, like uh, like you know, bass nectar was like a big uh, big cult cult vibes um so yeah i I don't know where to go with that but uh (laughs) no i i understand i that's the feeling that i've gotten because i've been approached by some people who are more on the support side not the artist but on the back end of it i don't know what they do like find the artist put them together in different shows whatever and um asking if i wanted to do things and then they started describing what the atmosphere would be i said that's not i don't i don't like it's not the kind of problem with that. Yeah. I wouldn't mind going there, but that's not how my work is. That's not how that works. Like, yeah. <laughs> for me, I'll show up, but I don't think my work actually fits in that context at all. Yeah. Well, so, so why do you make art? Do you think about that? And how do you think about that? Uh, well, I think about it in a couple ways. I think, um, I started, it was always in me. That's what I felt like uh, I should probably be doing. But I was working jobs. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was going to have a kid. And then he was born. And I thought, well, I got to do something. Yeah. So in a way, I think rather than being practical, I went the opposite direction and thought you have to set an example. Yeah. Like even if I fail, you should try it life kind of thing. Absolutely. So that automatically put a few things in play. First, uh, this doesn't uh, play out in my thought process behind the construction of it, but mm-hmm. I knew that once I made something, it had to sell. Right. Like I have to make, I have to find a way to sell. But the beauty of art, the way I see it, is you can, if you're uh, doing something interesting, you can make truly anything. So you should follow your heart first. And then try to sell it after. So the sales was immediately, I said, okay, I got to make a living doing this. And But in the making of things, uh, it's like I said, when I was 13, I didn't know where to go. But I think when I was 26, then all of a sudden it started to occur to me that what I didn't meant by I didn't know where to go was I didn't know what my voice was, what I had to say. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing, well, whatever I want to whatever I say is what I have to say. Right. It hadn't really occurred to me before that. Like, yeah. Well, you think it should be something profound, right? Yeah, yeah. And also when you're 13, you just don't really have much to say. No, no <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. But, you know, even I think voice, every artist, I think you'll attest to this, like even now from when you're 26, say, oh, my voice is so clearer yeah. or you know something. So it just happens that way. You yeah. know what you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um. And when I started, when I started, a lot of the things that happened kind of surprised me, like moving towards religion, uh, putting religious things together. That happened pretty quickly, mm-hmm. uh, combining religions. And um, another thing that happened immediately was combining different artists. Yeah. I started in sculpture and everything, but I was already thinking that way. Yeah. Uh, and that was by mistake. It wasn't by design. Uh, Interesting. I think, yeah. And now it's become a style. And, I don't know. Sometimes I get flack for that. People say you're just copying it, but I don't. I mean, whatever. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, but I mean, I 
Yeah, I could paint something else. Clearly, I'm doing this for a reason. That's what I feel like saying. Right, right, right. And it's like, you know, DJs or or producers have have made a killing off of sampling. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. It's just just in this medium, it's not as well, or it's not as, uh, I guess, common or accepted yet. I think... It probably should be. And I think as digital, like collage was always a thing. Mm-hmm. But as digital becomes more prominent, yeah. I think we're going to see that way more. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it should be like every, everything has value. I mean, you know, yeah. what am I talking about? So, (laughs) but I was surprised anyways. So that my when I'm, what I I think the question is what I think about. So when I'm making things, I kind of, have my mind blank. Like a lot of times it's very rare that an idea comes to me immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example of a painting that came to me in one second. I said, I got to do that was uh, Obama with Kim Jong-un riding on a horse. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That image just came to me. I said, I'm doing that. But most of the, most of the time I have, I have a starting point since it's all these, basically a collage of paintings, which, mm-hmm. um, uh, I had a starting point. I said, I really like this image, but then oftentimes my mind, I think, but I have to balance this out. So I start combining images till it gets to the subtle point that I'm trying to get to. And I say, that's it. And then I, so do you, com- go with that. do you composite these on Photoshop or do you, use- I composite everything. I, when I, when I first started, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so I once spent 19 months on a painting. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know that feeling. Because you're doing it, and you're like, oh, it's not. And, I didn't, and then you, it, I mean, it was huge. It was ten feet tall and eight feet wide, mm-hmm. so it was big. Right. But I did not want to ever spend 19 months again because I might as well work at McDonald's. Is what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the time so you sell then the painting. I started. <laughs> right. Yeah. So then I said, okay, I uh, I gotta figure it out and then just render it. So that takes away a bit of the creative joy. Mm. Uh, but. I don't think I'll do it forever either. So I'm not too worried about that. Right. It's not like this is my permanent state. So Right. I I feel like the newer stuff I've seen you post to, um, like there's that one where it's like a black and white image and it, it looks mm-hmm. like Viet soldiers in Vietnam. And then there's mm-hmm. a smaller um, image in the middle. That doesn't seem anything except maybe, maybe just photos at, at the very, yeah. the very most. Um, I, that one in particular is a photo of, and I changed the photo, but it's a photo of some soldiers in Vietnam. And then the center frame, um, there's a mushroom cloud coming out of it. Mm-hmm. I kind of just made that. But then the center frame is from the movie uh, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those movies that everyone's like, you need to see that. And I still haven't seen it. I've seen the first Blade it's, Runner, but. It's very well made. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another endorsement to check that out go. all right <laughs> but actually all the paintings i'm going to do this year are that same format actually it's okay. funny you bring that one up yeah That's they're cool. all going to be black and white and then the figures are going to be facing away from the from the camera from us mm-hmm. and they'll be facing this color piece in the middle just to do a series what so what are you it, what are you yeah. trying to say there um well it's kind of it, it I had a a couple different ideas going with that. First, I think 
some I, when you get in front of one of my paintings in a gallery, they're huge. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. um, I had a show and we had one which was sixteen feet wide, another that was twenty feet wide. These and there's a million things going on, and I think it's hard for people to place exactly what I'm trying to say or what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. So it makes an artist statement somewhat valuable, uh, but it's, I don't like those either sometimes. So it makes <laughs> yeah. it. So what I wanted to do was kind of place my own work in a context. So we have the center frame and that's like one of my paintings. Right. And then we have these people facing it and the people facing it are, are, well, in this one, they're in a war zone. They're in some type of circumstance. And for me, that's what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Like just because we have AC and zoom calls doesn't mean that this isn't all going to end in 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. Like I can go to the grocery store today, but imagine if I couldn't, it would be mayhem in the streets. Right. So that's kind of how I see the world at all times. And that's kind of what I'm trying to say in my paintings. Like here's where we are. Mm -hmm. And from that context, you can look at my paintings and maybe then you see what I'm trying to talk about Mm -hmm. a little better, whether it be something spiritual or whatever the content inside the frame is, Mm -hmm. then it gives you a framework to look at that. And then the other thing, the title of the series is going to be tank man for the Tiananmen Square tank man who's facing away from the camera and everything is coming at him. So, yeah. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So, about the the tank man, I hope I have this one saved. Well, I don't have it saved, but the um, the painting that you did, it's, it seems mm-hmm. to sample the School of Athens and uh, mm-hmm. there's the guy with the grocery bag, the plastic grocery bags mm-hmm. in the middle. Is that that dude? Yeah, that okay. guy. Okay. Yeah. And that was actually that painting. The first oil painting I ever did as a professional. Really? <laughs> I had done them before. It wasn't like I jumped into that, but I was the first one I said, I'm going to sell this thing. And nice. I, that was the first one. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so let's get back to, to where you're at at 26. Did you, so you had already had your first child by then? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have my first kid, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I was working at a jewelry design company. Mm-hmm. I told this story before, but it's such a strange story because I didn't see it coming. I think a lot of things in my life, it was inevitable, but those 10 seconds before it happened, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So I was working there, and I went to the bathroom, and I was just washing my hands, and I just looked in the mirror. I said, um, and I just walked. I just left. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. And I went to the public library. I had no idea what to do. I went to the public library for about two weeks straight instead of going to work. Mm-hmm. I just went, sat, and read Isaac Asimov books, actually. Nice. So, and then I said, okay, I have to be an artist. And I had a bit of money saved up from working in jewelry design. There was some money from that, and I just tried to figure it out. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, do you... This is I'm kind of jumping around a bit in in the order that yeah. I, I wanted to go but uh when you, when you think back about it I'm uh, well I'm interested in like your general like philosoph- philosophical take on on reality um do you believe in free will I guess I'll just come out and and ask that question because I think it's a very rich and interesting topic I don't often consider these things. Nice. Because 
in the moment, I think we all feel like we're making decisions. Like it doesn't matter if you don't believe in it or whatever. Right. We still feel like I wanted to eat this or whatever. Right, right. But I think in a larger context, there's an inevitability of the whole. Mm. And I think it's hard to say where the whole stops. Like, is there an inevitability of me? Right. Like, I'm a whole of something. Right. Or just mean the collective of humanity? Or do we just mean the ecosystem, everything? Right. Or or the planets and the universe and the solar system and the molecules. Right. I feel like there's some sort of inevitable. It's it has to happen. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, when I think about it, like in the context of my own life, how I got to where I am now, it, it's hard to really be like, no, I made a conscious decision <laughs> that was free of any sort of cause and effect beforehand. You know. Uh, Anyway, we don't have to get too far into the weeds just oh, yet. Wherever you want to go, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, but I actually, I, I, hate, I actually have a question on the opposite end of the spectrum. Mine is really a capitalist question. Yeah, yeah. In because I'm really fascinated by visionary art. I feel like mm -hmm. part of the reason, part of the reason I didn't want to be associated with it was because I didn't feel like I fit into it. Because mm -hmm. I don't think this goes with my work. Like I don't think. Kim Jong-un on a horse is visionary art. I just don't think that. <laughs> but I mean, but I do, the but... other side, <laughs> yes. But the other side of it is I thought it might, if I said, yeah, I'll do a show with that. I thought, I don't know if there's a career in this. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I've made it, the work. I'm not worried about what I'm making. I'm worried about what it's done with it. I said, I don't know if there's a career if I take that avenue. Is there like how have you felt for that for yourself? Like, are is there a collector base? Do you feel like there's people? There's definitely people that? supporting it. Um, and and since I don't have any really very much experience outside of that context just yet, um, yeah. Uh, from what I can see from my perspective is that it's a it's a small it is a small pond and we're yeah. it's it's not like competitive in the sense where like everyone's very kind and and giving and helpful but it's also like it's just a small pool i feel like of of resources at least and uh yeah. you know i you're putting me on the spot because it's kind of it's kind of my bread and butter, but um, sure. At, at the risk of, I guess, biting some of the hands that might feed me, uh, it it just seems like uh, very limiting in the long run. Like, um, yeah. No, I, I I I often feel I don't I I often feel about the large the what they call the art world. Mm -hmm. It's just like. I don't know, whatever, a hundred guys or something. Yeah, yeah. Like not artists, but like the collectors. There's nobody. Yeah, it's like I, I always think about the story that went the first day of Art Basel, the actual convention center mm -hmm. show, like not Scope or whatever, but Art Basel. Yeah. The with Gagos and all those characters, like they open up, and on the first day, there's like thirty guys that walk in. That's it. Yeah, it's like the VIP. The, who yeah, are, it's not like the VIP of like three hundred people. It's like yeah 10 20 guys yeah with their wives like that's it yeah 
It's like interesting. That's, yeah. Do, do you know about the Pareto principle or the 80-20 principle? Where oh, tell me. Basically, it's like it, it works across all kinds of systems, but basically 80% of the output or in, in the case of, in the context of the art world, 80% of the money or the collectors um, come from like 20% of the larger group that's like interested. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, to me from, from where I'm standing right now, it does seem like there's, and I don't want to, I'm probably ruining my career, but whatever. But it seems kind of like a cabal or something or like a, not, or, or some less uh, negative context word where it's like this, it's this little click of people. And maybe if you sell to one of those people, then it can snowball into more and more things down the line Did, are you involved at all with alex gray like do have you i know he has like a... i've met him and, and been up there and and painted at his spot um oh, that's I'm, cool. I'm not tight with him but yeah certainly a lot of respect and he's 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 so nice and so open and awesome that he's like a wizard dude his oh, work is. is yeah <laughs> great i don't get it. yeah it's great <laughs> it's great i mean yeah he he's a great guy. I've got nothing but great things to say about him and Allison and, and Cosm and and what they've managed to accomplish in their careers. And it's like he's one, like a yeah. He he's like one of those guys where you know you're kind of afraid to meet your heroes sometimes because you're you might be disappointed in who they actually are. But like no, Alex is like spot on who he is all the time. Just That's what you expected. When you talk to him, he's like giving you his full attention. He's not like, "Oh, there's someone I need to go talk to over there." It's like locked <laughs> in, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that 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 ethos kind of like you know, since he's kind of like uh, the grandfather patriarchal figure, that ethos right. sort of spreads throughout the the scene or the the community. I think that he's in a way, as far as my thoughts when. I was initially looking at this. He's the prime example because for what he does and the influence that he's had just on the world, not even just on our art community, just everybody, he should be, he should be, you know, in the museum of modern art, they should have a section like sometimes, okay, rotating section. Here's, here's what he did. But the the broader art world has not accepted what he's done that way. Yeah. It's not there. I I think it's because, uh, I mean, this is my own opinion based on maybe nothing, but, um, I think it's because it's explicitly spiritual, you know, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of modern art, uh, you know, I guess since I don't know when, but maybe turn of the century ish has has explicitly drifted away from r- religiosity and paintings and stuff like that. You have to be very secular, and if you deal with religion, it has to be with a heavy sense of irony. Right. Yeah. If there's any sincerity to it, it's kind of not taken seriously. That's interesting. And I think that's really unfortunate. Yeah, what what's up with that? Do you have any sort of insider information on that? Or? <laughs> I don't. I think it may be a broader cultural shift. Yeah. Uh, I, I, for me personally, I feel like 
I'm trying to get around it in a different way. Uh, I think my work does have a spiritual bent to it, and it's not for sure uh, ironic. But I think uh, coming from an Indian background but living in the United States gave me an angle which most people don't have. Mm -hmm. Because I think looking eastward, there's a sense of only seeing the peace of it, like yeah. you see meditation or whatever. Right, yeah. But when I read the the Hindu epics, I mean, all they are is fucking and people killing each other. And <laughs> like everybody says, oh, you should read the Bhagavad Gita. Like yeah. that's the spiritual book. Well, that book <laughs> is Krishna telling somebody he should fight a war. With his Arjun brother, doesn't want right? to fight a war. He's like, He's, no, it's a, it's a, Arjun is um, a, a prince, and Krishna has agreed no. to drive his chariot. Who? who but it is who, Arjun. Against his cousin. Yeah, his cousin. Against okay. his own cousin. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, you have to go. He's like, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And he says, you have to. Yeah. We all have to go on our, what is our path in life. So to me, I'm approaching these topics from that angle. And maybe that's what's gotten me people can look at it more in what they call seriously mm -hmm. because I'm not saying, Oh, it's like, it's all yoga flowers or and roses. It's all and, flowers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but that's unfortunate because flowers and roses are a major part of it. Yeah. 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 But you it's know? also got the, just it's the grim aspects so, of life. And that's the angle. That's how I see the world. So it was not, it wasn't like conscious thing. I was able to go that direction naturally. And that's how I put the spirituality into it. I said, that's, it's all this, like, it's not just happiness. It's this. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, but that's the only reason I think people don't look at me as silly. Mm. Like I have the Indian, like identity is a big deal right now in the art world. Like it is in the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the, the Indian thing. And then, I mean, all these things have made no difference to me in, my practice or right. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. But in the reality of what's going on over there, it makes a difference than the art world. When I'm selling something or not me, but whoever is selling something of mine, then while well, I'm Indian, there's all these things like, I don't know. It's a strange, I don't know how it's exactly working, but <laughs> it's the fact that you can kind of secularize, secularize my work that makes it like palatable to collectors or something. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the the Kalki series uh, in particular. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I think okay. So for people just listening to audio, I'm gonna pull up some pictures here on our Zoom chat, and just to kind of give um, examples so that we can so they and also so that everyone can see Kalyan's work because it's pretty dang incredible. Um, and so, could you would you mind explaining to to listeners or viewers what what the story of Kalki is? Okay, what it's about. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, he's the tenth avatar of Vishnu. So Krishna is the eighth or ninth. Mm -hmm. Buddha is maybe the ninth. There's some debate on whether he is or not. That's why Krishna is the eighth or ninth. Uh -huh. uh, and there's been uh, so there's been nine to this point in history. And then in the future, there's going to be Kalki, who will be the 10th. And his role on Earth will be to, by force, mm. uh, send us back to a more innocent age. He just cuts everybody down, basically. And uh, so there's a story about him. But this series started because uh, I was thinking, what if he 
lost. Mm. <laughs> like what if what if he lost? So it's not, I don't think yeah, I don't see it here, but there's the one where he's throwing down his weapons. I don't know if you've seen that one. He's on a horse and he's throwing down his weapons. That was the first one that I did. Um, and then it evolved from there where I just made that the third in the series that he throws down his weapons, he gives up, but then he comes back as an older man. Cause that seemed more realistic to me. I just started making up the story because mm-hmm. there isn't clear, there isn't a clear story. It hasn't happened yet. Is this the one? It's in the future. Oh no, this isn't the one. He's not on a horse here, Ooh. but. Well, the story, I made it a 10 part. The story goes, uh, there's one of him being pulled from a river as a baby. Mm-hmm. Then there's one where he kind of, the awakening is he kind of, that you have down here at the, at the second row, yeah. where he kind of realizes his purpose in the world. Is he, um, is he, he the central figure in the central panel, the blue guy? He's the central figure in the central panel. He is, yeah, yeah the yeah. blue guy, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. And then, uh, and then after that, he, I had, that's, I had him at, I kind of guessed his age for 2017 there. Then he gets defeated at 29. And I thought that's because I wanted to, to mirror, like in these epics, these Hindu epics, mm-hmm. it's not like, like nobody's infallible. They go through all kinds of crap before they get to where they go. Yeah. So I kind of invented the story that he, then he loses and then he kind of forgets his purpose and he gets married and he's in love and then she dies. Okay. And then he just kind of, then his purpose kind of takes off. So he takes revenge on the people who killed her. And then he fights this great war, which he is then victorious. In. And it's done in 10 separate paintings. That's how I, how I did it. So the, the revenge you see there, that's his revenge of her dying. The purpose is where he's mourning her death. Mm-hmm. And then uh, duty and consequence, the triptych, the kind of purplish one, that's the war with the wave and that's kind of the inevitability of humanity to me too. That's, that's this wave, this acceleration. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love also that, um, like any, uh, good DJ worth their salt, you, you give credit to what you're sampling, uh, in these things. Yeah. You're like, you'll say like, Oh, this one has Caravaggio and, and this one has Dali and Rubens and Murakami. <laughs> I want to. You know what's funny? Yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was just... going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the glory of Zoom. Uh, I, let me just show preparation uh, for war real quick. This I think this one might be my favorite. Um, and, and you, something I noticed is that like on this beer stat, which is the landscape, you. Mm-hmm. You take this right side of the painting and you, did you invert it and then you painted it in the inverse? Like oh, I might have. Right here. I might have inverted it, yeah. So you're kind of also like remixing as well. And I, it, are you, Is it open for you? I'm not seeing, I'm just seeing like the thumbnails oh, on really? my screen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, let me, yeah. Let's see. Let me try and share this again. Let me try and share this again. But yeah, it, just to here we go. Here's preparations of war. Hey, there we go. I might have inverted it. Another thing I did was I remember I didn't like his clouds, Beardstadt's clouds. Mm-hmm. You know his clouds are great, but I wanted yeah. different ones. So there, there's different clouds in there. Yeah, I remember doing that. And you, I think you added some like Ed Hardy. Yeah, I added ass. some some Ed Hardy <laughs> tattoos on Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty great. Because yeah, there's a 
you you kind of pepper in like a little bit of sense of humor in some of them, but it's not full on like irony or, or cynicism, you know. I, I feel like if I, I it's part of I think my personality is to kind of mostly be humorous, and my work doesn't always reflect that. Yeah, like maybe like I keep on bringing up Kim Jong Un on a horse, maybe that kind of does. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, my work doesn't reflect the way I'm in real life, which is pretty easy going and yeah that this work is kind of ultra serious so i kind of try to throw a little bit in there to lighten it up yeah 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 i am uh, i'm kind of actually in the same boat there as well um uh yeah you feel that way yeah like my work doesn't this i i'm drifting more towards being trying to infuse a little bit of silliness or or, or lightness or humor into it um i did one painting where there's like this purple moon headed goddess, but she's doing this. Um, she's doing, you know, did you ever play like the circle game as a, as a kid where you did like the, you'd be like, Oh, look at this. And you like throw this little circle up into someone. Oh yeah. 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 Them. So she has yeah. that going on in that painting. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah. Trying to integrate my personality more with the work is, you know, it's a challenge, but um, I think it'll it'll ring more true and, and more clear in the future. Let me ask you a question about that. Sure. What do you think about a lot of times, and I see this, uh, a great example is when somebody loves an artist or a musician or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, do we have to not list, like, if once we know R. Kelly is a rapist, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. is his music diminished? Yeah, is and it, how much of us is in our art? Is it a separate thing? Is it the or art or the artist? Is it the same? Yeah, like, yeah. What, how do you? Where do you stand on that? Gosh, I mean, like, I wasn't a really an R. Kelly fan to begin <laughs> Not with. Him, but just okay. So, like, <laughs> let's take Michael Jackson, right? That's a okay. perfect example because, like, yeah, I think for the majority of people who like his music, even after all the stuff came to light in the past couple of years, they're still like. I mean, I'll still listen to Off the Wall. And the guy's also dead, too, so it's kind of like you're not exactly supporting him anymore because he doesn't necessarily exist. What about about an example? Let's take a dead person. What about, like, now it's been really popular to say, well, Picasso was a misogynist and this and that. Yeah. Like, does, like... I guess it matters if we're celebrating something about his great accomplishments as a philanthropist, mm. but I don't know if anybody's doing that. We're just saying, well, he's a good painter. Right. Or Dali even apparently was a renowned. Right. Asshole. was a fascist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, like, I mean, do we, I, does it matter? I think it matters less if they're dead personally, right. because like there's this, I don't know. I think humans have this, innate psychological need for um retribution or or punishment of some kind when you know things that we think of as despicable are committed so like we're not you know there's no really we're not really doing anything for anybody if we're like yo dolly's work is still really dope and i respect it and and do you do you think do you think that that sense of of wanting, uh, like, uh, justice, mm. I guess that's a bad word, but like somebody 
does something that we don't like and everybody piles on him, like, fuck that guy. Do you think that there's kind of a, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but do you think there's kind of a, that that's been heightened? Because oh, I definitely. think that can only exist, I think it can only exist when you're not looking at yourself. Totally. I mean, I would never do that, but we totally would do that. Like right. 90% of the bad things somebody does yeah. in the right circumstance or the wrong one, everybody on earth would probably do that. Well, to circle back to um, free will, I think for me, it, 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 this has been on my mind recently um, a lot because I, I've come to see for me and, you know, obviously we could have a debate about it, but when you when you let go of the idea of free will, you realize that like people are just kind of their circumstances, and mm-hmm. until you know better, you can only act in some kind you know a way that you're predisposed to act, whether that's from a combination of genetics or society or whatever it is, you know. Well, how does one? So let me ask you, do you have to attain the status of the Buddha to know better? Or can we, on a smaller scale, know better? Well, I think that that's where, that's where um, things like justice come in, where mm. it's, not, it's not like, like practically we would lock up a murderer because they're dangerous for everyone. But right. this, I don't know, I might piss people off, but like... There's this guy, you know, the guy who was sniping people at the University of Texas in the 60s. Mm -hmm. He wrote basically a suicide letter that was like, hey, I think there's something wrong with my brain. You guys should do an autopsy after, you know, you kill me or put me in Mm. jail or whatever it is. And they did an an autopsy and they found this giant tumor pressing on his amygdala in his brain. Yeah. And again, like it's not an excuse to be like, oh, well, you know, I guess we should just let this guy be who he is. It's like, no, we should definitely either, I I don't know, it's like lock him up or attempt to to operate on him somehow. And as like, as human, all I think there is really is like knowledge and wisdom and the only thing that we can actually change are the inputs that we're we're putting in like mm-hmm. but you would sometimes you don't even know to pay attention to say buddhism or values or morality if your whole culture is steeped in like uh you know a big distraction or a big like you know like in america i think you know, money is, is sort of, or the hustle for status or money is a big, big yeah. driver. And we're all yeah. kind of in this group think, and, and I don't know how that works exactly, but we're in a group think where, you know, those things it, can sometimes just take precedence. No, that was a major... I, so I started art when I was 26, and then I went through a really rough time when I was 30. Mm-hmm. And that year, I only made one piece of art, and I gave it away in a whole year. And it wasn't some massive thing. I just it was one thing. Mm-hmm. And the question that I had was whether to participate or not, because 
I think there's no nobility to any of this. Like what I'm doing is just the same as I'm participating in this larger society. We're all just going forward. Right. I'm trying to make things and hundreds of other artists are trying to make things. So we're just, just a giant factory of output and we're cutting down trees or doing all these things and there's things being sold and we're a part of, so the question is, if there, for me, maybe it's a little too, little too black and white because mm-hmm. maybe another person would say, well, to do something from your heart and so on, which once you made the black and white decision, maybe that's the way you go. But the black and white for me was whether or not to move into the countryside and be an organic farmer and live carbon free and, mm-hmm. or to participate. And the thing I figured out is for myself, mm-hmm. there's no honor in living a carbon free organic live on a farm lifestyle because the rest of society is going this way. What are you just some self-righteous dude? Like you could do that for yourself, but just know you're not You're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the, the tide is going. Yeah. You're like this you're not, little drop in the ocean. And you're, you're no better than anybody else for doing right, that. Right. You're just, that's just what you did. Right. But once you commit to living in this thing mm-hmm. and you really have to live in it, because every day I drive a car and every day I do all these things. Mm-hmm. And recently I, it's accelerated for me even more. Recently I purchased a house. Mm-hmm. So once you purchase a house, it's like. <laughs> you're locked in. Dude, it's like the world is, it, now you're you're it. Like you're part of the thing. Yeah. It's got you. Because you have a credit, you have credit and a credit yeah. score and social security, like all these yeah. crazy things which seem pretty abstract from the outside. Like when I was young, I had a credit score of zero. Yeah. I had never used credit, but I just played cash, everything. Yeah, yeah. It's just, but what they are is they're a system that contains you. And once you're a part of it, you accept and you go. Yeah. So that was the big question. I, I don't know well, it, where, it, how I came to that, but it's, so um, it makes me think of, um, and I, I guess I should clarify a little bit about the free will thing. Um, yeah. First of all, I, I need to say that like, um, I've, I've been listening to, uh, Sam Harris who has like a meditation app and mm. he's talking <clears throat> about free will in there. And it, I don't know. I know who that is. I've never seen him, his opinions on that though. Yeah. I mean, he, he just lays out a pretty great argument for it. And there's like an exercise where you can, you know, think of a movie is what he says. Just think of any movie. And so if you get a movie in your head, like, it's like okay, I thought of um, I thought of Indiana Jones. It's like, well, you weren't free to think of movies you had never seen or heard of, and then like, <laughs> and then if you if you really examine your thought process there, why did it? Why did I pick Indiana Jones and not Star Wars or not, you know, Brokeback Mountain or whatever? You know, like. It just things just occur to you, and they just pop into consciousness, basically. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but also, like, just because I don't believe in free will doesn't mean I don't think that choices um, don't matter. I think that they definitely do, and that's why, you know, for me, like, focusing on what inputs I'm putting in here, like consuming mentally or or, or emotionally or whatever is very important. But what, to get back to what you were saying about living in the world and participating versus like going off to be kind of like this 
organic farming hermit. Uh, it reminds me of the, so like in, in Buddhism, there's the, uh, there's like the two paths. I can't remember exactly, um, what their, their actual names are, of course, right now when I'm on the spot. But, uh, basically one is like, if you want to go meditate in a cave and like figure out your, your own mind, like that's one way you could do it. But really the, the best way to do it is to be in the world affecting things mixing it up spreading these ideas uh it's it's more of a it's more of a wider path and yeah and it's you know it's it that's where like a sort of political bent comes in with like being a good person like you can be a good person and pat yourself on the back for living carbon free but you know you're you're providing for yourself and for your family and really that's kind of kind of where it stops because as you said there's like this big wave of you know corporations cutting down rainforests or whatever right so yeah that's kind of those are kind of like my thoughts on all that i guess uh <laughs> um i'm i'm glad we're uh we're going far afield from just art right now you know yeah, man. I actually have a question about your art, if you don't mind my, my yeah, asking. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Like, with my ideas, since it's figurative, I can kind of see how I'm putting things together. Like, for me, I understand that. I mean, I could explain to somebody else, but for me, I understand that. But when I see your work, how do you come to the visual concepts that you put on a canvas? Like, for me, sometimes I'll be running and it just pops into my head. Or mm -hmm. I'll be comparing things and putting them together. Like, how do you see what it is? That you want to do with an image um uh typically i have <laughs> basically just made a mess at the beginning just like yeah. where to where it could be like an abstract painting but then i'm like oh this kind of looks it, it's kind of um that synesthesia thing where you're oh yeah where the color or yeah. maybe it's paradelia i can't remember but you uh <laughs> yeah yeah it's paradelia synesthesia is like is hearing that? colors paradelia yeah, is like seeing a pattern where it's just like a blob of paint it's like a rorschach test kind of a oh thing. okay okay and so from there i sort of start chipping away and sculpting at what maybe a form is and then the story or if it's if it is if it does have a story sort of like emerges through that process see yeah yeah that's that's how i have done it i'm really it's a process it's a lot of process it's a lot of process like you know i've spent i've spent nearly a year on uh paintings before you know and th but they're and they weren't that big they're like three by four feet or something you know right yeah. Kind of like how you were saying you did your your one of your first paintings where you, yeah, it, it's it's too much. And so like, as I'm growing older and becoming more disciplined, I'm thinking like, all right, I need to get like procreate, start sketching things <laughs> out, and, and right. I mean maybe even using a projector or something like that, and and just really being clear and, and straight to the point. Like, I think that what happens for a lot of artists in, in my community is you get the psychedelic experience and you just want to tell everybody about it. And you, 
and on each painting you're trying to smush everything together so it makes for like kind of sloppy composition and maybe a little oversaturated color which i still have trouble with uh and oh yeah for me do you feel that way uh sometimes i mean i don't know i i you know grass is always greener but i just (laughs) i look at like work like like yours or, or people who uh, know how to paint in a traditional manner using like the the uh the like earth tone under painting and building it up from there right. and like all the colors just look real and not like overblown you know so i i kind of i kind of like that I, I would never have thought that you thought that way about your work but that's interesting well you it's know, funny the things you can't guess from looking at it right yeah right and again, it's grass is always greener kind of thing. But um, yeah, I think for me, like I've really learned, even when I'm still doing that kind of process and, and mm-hmm. having things emerge, I've learned to like cut the fat or like trim the fat and not, and just like get to the point instead of trying to make everything super, you know, <laughs> uh, transcendent at every turn it's like okay what yeah. do i want to say rather than being yeah. like everything is all one or or you know what you know just some platitude like that i want to like get to the heart of what it is that's going on and trying to include like the context of the the world as well what what do you think your current direction is with that like how how are you how are you doing that in a, in a tangible sense <laughs> <laughs> uh well on the on a painting that I'm about to release in a couple of weeks um uh with, through Madhouse Art shouts to them uh uh I'm going you know I've I've included some emojis and stuff and the ti- the title of the painting oh, is going to be um I don't want to reveal it right now but it's it's going to be okay. it's going to be very like it's like you're going to be like oh I get what you're saying it's not like yeah it's not as uh deep it's not it's detailed but it's not like details are everywhere it's like focused point and yeah i think that right now currently and then there's the other side of it is just like let's just make some stripes and see what happens you know and (laughs) and try and nail the values and and make it look like some strange object or strange you know entity like thing that's made out of shapes and not yeah, I don't know it I that's how I'm thinking about it right now and uh yeah I, I don't know I think I ran out of thoughts <laughs> I, I, there <laughs> no I understand I think uh it's hard you get to a certain point in describing your work mm-hmm. where it becomes difficult to there's that intuition that is very hard to explain. That's why you made the work. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There, I mean, there, there's a reason why we still have paintings post like right. language, you know, like yeah, and post print and even post internet. We we're still making paintings. Like I feel like paintings would have fallen by the or images even would have fallen by the wayside if we had a better way of explaining or, or showing certain things, you know? I, I always think that artists, like, it's valuable. Like, that's why we're doing this. It's valuable to talk about artists, what they're thinking about. 
and it can give us insight into their work. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of times, I feel like people say, "Well, what does it mean?" I'm like, "Listen, if a pi- <laughs> the thing I always say is the picture is a thousand words. Yeah, yeah. Why do you need a thousand and thirty-five? Take what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's it mean to you too? I think that's yeah. that's a really important well, thing. If, if you te- if you tell them, in a way, you're taking that away from them, right? Like if they're like, "What is that?" I'm like, oh, "It's about a can opener." They're like, "Oh, <laughs> everything they had in their head is gone." Right now, it's about a can opener. Right, that's it. Yeah, it's and those words, all they really are are signposts pointing to an actual phenomenon or actual thing in the world. They're not that thing itself, you know. Right. It's yeah. It, yeah. So it kind of yeah, kind of sometimes defeats the purpose. Um, like with the painting that I'm about to release, I'm just going to give just the title. And like, if you want to look that up, like you're, you're free, you know, let your mind go, you know, like, yeah. Uh, but I think it's more, yeah, just trying to be more straightforward is, is where I'm at. Um, yeah. but yeah, um, I want to shift gears a little bit and, um, Talk about NFTs because I think that oh that you were uh, one of the first artists that I noticed talking about that. Um, would you would you mind explaining what it is to our <laughs> listeners? I mean, I guess I could, but you know, I've been funny. talking a lot. <laughs> no, no. I, what's funny is I think I'm probably some tech guy somewhere, some programmer is going to be screaming at the screen like, "Like, dude, that's that one did." <laughs> Okay, so there's the blockchain, right? Which mm-hmm. is basically almost like a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. It keeps track of transactions and every like so and it's transparent, right? So we what it what NFT is is putting uh an a, a art file on the blockchain. And once you've done that, uh like Bic, the like uh, if you take Bitcoin, for example, let's start there. If you take Bitcoin, the key to Bitcoin is you can't copy it. There's 21 million of them or whatever, mm-hmm. and there will never be 22. Right. You can't, nobody can borrow your Bitcoin and then you say, oh, now we have two. That will not happen. There's no artificial so you, inflation. You, and, yeah. There's no artificial inflation. We've done, now with NFT, they've done the same thing with art. So when you mint a piece of art on the blockchain, it becomes a non-fungible token, NFT, and that thing is the, is the only one. You can make an addition of 10, but then those are the only 10. Mm-hmm. And so what it allows is for digitally people to own uh, art, mm-hmm. whereas before it had to be physical in order for it to have value. And everything on the internet, you just say, drag, drop. Now I've got it too. Well, you can have it on your computer, just like I could have a copy of the Mona Lisa hanging on my wall. Right. But there's only one. Right. And that person who owns the one has the value. So essentially... I have a problem with this explanation that I've just given mm-hmm. because yeah. it essentially creates the marketplace, which is a great thing, especially for digital artists who previously have really been looked down on. If we think about it in reality, that's mm-hmm. the reason why we look down on them because they can't sell it. Mm-hmm. If they, we all say, Oh, we don't, we like, it's not as cool when you make it on Photoshop as when you paint it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the painting you can sell on the Photoshop. You just can't. I mean, somebody might buy it from you for five bucks but they can just copy it from you or whatever, right. or you're just a work for hire. Nobody wants your original Photoshop painting. Right. 
it's the market which has made digital art be seen this way. But the problem with that is now everybody doing NFT has started to see it as simply a way of creating a digital marketplace. Mm-hmm. But it is more than that. And that's what I'm trying to push in NFT right now. And I see nobody's really playing with this that much. But uh, there, there's, I mean, there are some uh, people trying to play with But when you create something, a new way of presenting art, it's not just a marketplace. It's an actual format. So uh, I want people to play with the blockchain in a way where it's not about the market. Like people are playing with it with the market. For example, the artist Beeple crap, you know, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So Beeple had a, do you know about the story I'm about to tell you about his NFT drop? Yeah, yeah. He crushed it. Well, three. (laughs) So 3.5, I mean, yeah. I don't think the guy ever made really a dime off of his art in 13 years. Maybe he made a couple thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah. He made 13, $3.5 million in two days Yeah. off of one drop right. with a bunch of different pieces in it, but one drop, $3.5 million. And in one of his drops, he had pieces for a dollar. You could buy it for a dollar. So that's playing with the marketplace in a way which I think is really interesting. Because what you're doing is you're making it so anybody can afford it. Mm-hmm. And two, you're also testing the value once it's been bought. Because people were reselling it same day for six, for $1,600. Damn. I, don't, I can't think of an asset in the world which can do that. So people are playing with the marketplace that way. But what I'd like to see them do is play with blockchain that way. Mm. So, for example, the first piece, which I really felt like I was playing with blockchain that way, my, my first couple were releasing my paintings on a, as NFT, scanning them and releasing them, which I thought had value because you can release a print which has value. Mm-hmm. I didn't do papers; you just hang it on your wall, put it in a frame. I don't, and I know that it does. You can buy a print of Picasso, or whatever, for thousands of dollars. Yeah. But in truth, I don't feel like a like a inkjet print has value. I just yeah. feel that way. Whereas this, the blockchain, it created value for my things, so people can buy them for cheap, as opposed to buying the whole painting. But still, that that's not very adventurous. So the third NFT drop I did, I do it on a site called Nifty Gateway, Mm -hmm. but there's a million of them, Maker's Place. Uh, You can do Unrarable. You can mint your own and have your own store. uh, And one called OpenSea, it shows every NFT, which is on the internet right now, I think, in one place. Um, There's a bunch. And I did mine on Nifty Gateway. And then my third drop, rather than being some variation of a painting, was a photo of my dad's body. As he passed away. Right, yeah, yeah. I saw that. And what I did that for was I wanted to, it had to be real. If you don't do a real piece of work, it has no value. So there was real feeling behind that because what I did was I minted it on the blockchain and somebody can buy this physical representation of my memory. I have it in my head, but they can buy the, the picture I took and then I deleted it off my phone. There's only that one, and it's gone for me. Yeah. Somebody owns that. So for me, it was an interesting art concept. But beyond that, uh, it used the block. I wanted to demonstrate that we can use the blockchain in an interesting way. We've created this moment in time, and it's a one of one now. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just fascinating. Like I could see entire companies down the road saying, "Commemorate your." I don't think they use pictures of the body, but commemorate your loved ones because the blockchain is eternal. As long as there's a network, it's going to be there. Right. So you put your your loved one's picture on the blockchain, and boom, it's forever. 
there. Ah, okay. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. And, um, and there's a lot of different directions to go with that. I have some idea. I, I'm shocked at how everybody's just using it as a market and nobody's thinking of it as a format. Uh, like the I'd context like to, to present your art kind of a thing. Yeah, the context. It's not just a way to sell it. It's an actual thing in itself. Mm. For me, it's like if they invented – the movies are more extreme. But for me, it's as if they invented the movies and people are like, now we can show paintings on the wall. Here's this painting. Yeah. Like, dude, you could do something totally different. What are you doing this for? Like, I think there's, because if you think about it, it's also a ledger. Okay. So I'm going to throw an idea out there. Okay. Nobody's ever done this. And if somebody hears it and wants to do it, I hope they do it. It's a ledger, right? And there's just a thing on the ledger. What if every time it's sold, every time there's a new transaction, the the image that's attached to it changes. So if I have one and I sell it to you, you don't get the same thing I just sold you. And we don't know what it's going to be until you buy it. That's cool. And so it's kind of like there's, the collaborating with what the AI or, or the blockchain itself or there, I think it'd be built in the blockchain, but I think there'd have to be some kind of programming. There would have to be some kind of back end sure. to make that happen, which sure. I don't know, but I'm working, I'm talking to a bunch of different people. I'm working on a bunch of different ideas, but for me, we've got something totally new going on, but instead what's happening and I'm glad, and it's obvious, but every digital artist is like, dude, I can sell things now. Yeah. And that's all which that's happened. Great. It's great. Which is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is great, but I kind of want them to. Yeah. Live a little bit. Yeah. So, um, I had a question about selling, say like a traditional painting on, as an mm-hmm. NFT. What, what do you do with the physical painting after you sell it as an NFT? You still have that? Uh, the fit, I still have that because I view it as a print. Like you have the painting and you have the prints of the painting. Gotcha. But uh, I'm going to do a funny one. Well, I can't give this, I'm not, I can't give this away. But that exact question, I'm going to do a drop which d- directly addresses that. Okay, nice. So, because that's what I'm thinking. Like, there's ways of playing with this. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my next one. You'll see, and then I'll, I'll even send it to you and direct message and Sweet. Instagram, and then you'll see. It. That's what it is. Nice, so. nice. I don't want to give it away since I'm about to do it. Like, you don't want to say, "Oh, this is the idea I'm going to put out tomorrow," and everybody says, "Oh, like, yeah, right, wanna. right, right." So. Um, it'll be more than tomorrow. It'll be like a month, but I still, you know, so, so the traditional, traditional artists or painters can, uh, <laughs> can use that to, to sell as like a one of one print of their work rather than they, or they could have, like I did 10 of 10s when I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So you could, so 10 different people could own a print, but, uh, there's another, there's other, there's a guy named Trevor Jones mm-hmm. who was, um, have you seen this guy? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Um, he, he's a traditional artist. He's a painter. I, I think he's from across the pond, but I'm not sure. Um, nice guy. I've messaged him back and forth a few times. Uh, but he has had some pretty um, big drops. I think he had one single piece sell for $55,000. So, so he's making big money off of it. But he's a painter. And what he does is he paints images and then he collaborates with... Um, People do motion graphics to animate his paintings. Nice. And so, yeah, there's different possibilities for traditional media, I think. That's awesome. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Well, thanks for that uh, little NFT tutorial. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take a break real quick. What now? Sorry. 
I said, I checked my mail and I got this bag from the New Yorker. I have no idea why the New Yorker sent me a bag. Are they? <laughs> but that's that's cool though. Are they? Uh, are they head hunting you or? You know, like, are they? I don't think so. Do they want to work with you or something? <laughs> Not that I know of, but neat. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I do it for the swag, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, oh, so uh, one thing that I skipped over earlier. Um, so your paintings, again, they have. I meant to include this in the uh, about your work section, but. Uh, your your paintings obviously have a lot of uh, references to Hinduism. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you a Hindu? Would you describe yourself as a Hindu? Uh, I I would not. I, I I think in a traditional sense I am. Because mm. traditional traditionally Hindus were pretty. It was just a culture. Okay. It wasn't. It's not a dog. Not not a dogmatic way of life. It's become a bit more that way. Yeah. Yeah. But tradition, there were atheists who they would say, "Are you Hindu?" Yeah, because <laughs> they basically follow that way of life. Oh, okay. Like, do you believe in God? No, but I do this. Yeah, yeah. So in those terms, yeah, for sure I am. Yeah. But in the terms that it's become, probably I don't know, especially in the last fifty to a hundred years, mm. from my understanding, mm-hmm. even because when my dad describes when he was young, as opposed to the way I'm seeing on Instagram now with the messages I get is definitely more extreme. Yeah. I wanted to ask like, you about that. I see a lot yeah. of, uh, angry Hindu men commenting on your, yeah. on your stuff. And yeah, here's I mean, my boy. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing back there. Hey, what's up? Dude? Uh, <laughs> hey. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, they, uh, I think they're confused. Okay. That's what I tell them. Yeah, yeah. They don't upset me because they're just confused. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they, I'll paint Krishna somewhere or the other and be like, that's not what he looks like. But there is no, for, Krishna is in all things. Like, there's no form of this deity. Like, I don't know what the <laughs> argument is. So, you know, they just are confused. There's no logic to it. It's, a, it's the most open concept for religion ever. Like, they say, like, uh, they say, oh, here's Jesus. Oh, he's invited too. Whatever, bring yeah, it in. Join the party. There's no join the party. But the Buddha is fully integrated because yeah. it's been so many thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. But that was a separate thing. But now it's 100. percent He's in it. You know, whatever. That's it's all. Everybody, it's come on. But now it's become much more rigid hmm. among, especially. I think. I think it's a political thing, largely. Uh, okay. I think it's tied to politics and everything. Uh, there's fear of other religions encroaching on them. It's a culture war type thing. Ah. Uh classic yeah okay classic yeah. yeah just okay i just wanted to touch on that for a little bit um and yeah you answered my question of why do you think they're so angry i guess because they're <laughs> yeah. just confused um, very very confused um so yeah we're we're getting we've gone past the hour mark uh already okay which is which is great uh, but i have i have uh like a few more questions for you and these are just kind sure. of like uh, questions that I've sort of formed over the course of doing this podcast that I like to ask. Um, what, okay. what are, or what is one, I guess, brutal fact about the art world that, uh, younger artists, maybe like myself might not be aware of. Uh, the, the feeling that you may have to sell out is possibly true. And also that you're not invited. I don't mean you, but mm. me, everybody, you're not invited. Yeah, yeah. It's a bully system. 
either you go to the right New York school for your MFA and succeed and the collectors come and the teachers talk to the galleries and people show up and say, oh, it's lovely. Like, I'll take five of them. Or you're like me and you. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to see what you did. And it doesn't matter if you're doing the same thing as those guys who went to the school. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you had to, it's really um, a brutal, long path. That feeling that it, that it never ends is yeah. true. Like, I, I still haven't had the feeling that I've made it. And I feel like I probably have made it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I still don't you feel that way. No. Like, I'm you still may like, have made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may have made it, but I'm really not sure. So that feeling doesn't end. Maybe for Damien Hurst or somebody who's made a billion, like whatever. Yeah. But you're always like, okay, like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very difficult path. It's not, you have to love it or don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think every artist knows that in their heart. Absolutely. But then there's this thing which tells them, people are going to love this piece. They're yeah. going to go crazy. And it's going to, you know, everybody's going to, nobody ever does that. Yeah. doesn't matter what you make. Nobody right. ever does that. Right. Yeah. Oh, I've had that experience so many times being like, this is the one. And then you <laughs> you post it and it sort of just sits around in your studio for a while. And then, yeah. and then maybe you sell it months later and you're like, well, okay, that's that's still pretty cool. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's funny. Like we build ourselves up in a lot of ways because we're putting so much into a painting, like, so many different states of, of mental and emotional being just as you go through day-to-day life get kind of like mm-hmm. infused into the painting and so you you sort of expect the same kind of energy to be coming back at you but it it comes back in these does weird it? ways if it does yes. at all yeah and the other thing is just my word of advice to young artists, I don't think I need to give this to you. You have like, you've established yourself, but then when people first start out, I feel like they put, you know, they don't have an Instagram following. They don't, they don't have any of these things. Mm-hmm. They put a lot of stock in what people say. Yeah. You can't put a lot of stock into that. Yeah. Whether it be a compliment or an insult, it doesn't matter. Exactly. You've got to do what you do. Like somebody said, that's amazing. Don't be like, oh. Yes. Like, who cares what that person thinks? Like, whatever. <laughs> Even if totally. they're paying you, it doesn't matter. You got to follow this or it doesn't matter. Totally. Yeah. I, I definitely learned that through through the compliment route, I think. being People yeah. like gassing up my early work and, you know, for, for a year, maybe two, I was like, I, I guess I'm good, you know? Like, yeah. But, and, but then I was like, you know, had that feeling like I could be making way better work than I am, you know? Every once in a while, somebody will say something. It's never a compliment. Like the compliments, ignore them. Every once in a while, somebody will give you a criticism and you're like, there's something real in what that person <laughs> says. And you just go over your head. What was it? Cause the, like you suck because of this. Well, the you suck part isn't true, but something in there was true. Like right. you're trying to get at it. Totally. And that's that's worth it. But other than that, just try not to pay too much attention. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um so this is a new question um that I want to start asking my guests. Um what are what is okay, or what are some of some words that you would use to describe yourself when you're at your best? Oh. Um giving. 
A all words like that, to be honest with you, when I think about it, loving, accepting, mm-hmm. I think I'm at my best to, I think my, I'm at my best with people and I'm at my best with my family because I feel the most connected to that um, and the most responsibility for that too. Mm-hmm. But I love the connections with people. And if I feel like I'm positively like they've left feeling good about themselves and I feel like, okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, all right. There's something, some kind of transaction happened where somebody feels happy about things. And I feel like that's, that that's the best for me. Not some kind of a fake happiness, but something real, right. like something solid has happened. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It, this is kind of a follow-up question to that. Uh, how important, uh, how important is it to have like a good set of, of, those kind of values or, or ethics on, on the artist career path? Um, as far as the career, I think, I, I would say it's like anything else. In some cases, it probably doesn't matter at all. There's probably a lot of artists who are just trying to get ahead at any cost. Hey, like, let's have a group show. Oh, I'm going to cut these guys out of it. Now it's a solo show. Like they don't care whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And I've encountered artists like that. Mm. Um, but do you think that they're happy? They're, probably not yeah but maybe they think they are which I, it's hard to say is that as, touch just as good with... as being happy <laughs> i don't think so yeah because i think um that's when you get people who like when there's a disconnect mm-hmm. and then there there is they are truly not as happy even if they believe that mm-hmm. but i think um i think it's like anything else for the career side of it if the people who succeed are often the people who are per- personable, who who enjoy interactions with others. Because it really is, uh, in the end, unless you get a great agent or gallery, it is about you as a person. Mm-hmm. Like when people message you on Instagram, people, do you, people find you that way. Mm-hmm. And it depends on how you respond. Yeah. It does, you don't have to be giving to everybody, but you have to be open to be able to give to everybody. Right, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, and so last question, uh, everyone, you know, has like strengths, uh, in their personality or, or the way that they live their life. Um, if you had to pick one of your strengths, what would be, what would you consider like your superpower? Tenacity. Tenacity. Nice. Yeah. Not that like, cause you know, as an artist, mm-hmm. like, you know, there are those moments where like, Oh my God, I, I should just, like, I, why am I doing this? And I hate this piece. And this is the worst. But if you never let that affect you, yeah. like if 10 seconds later, you're like, this is going to be my finest moment. Yeah. Then you can't lose in this game. Yeah. Like, it's not even a game, but you cannot fail. Yeah. Like, I, and then when I was younger, it would affect me very badly because it would be like a mood swing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. But then you'd be like, I can do it. And it'd be like a swing. But now when I start feeling that, the experience tells me, no. I can do this and you just stay even through it. Yeah. So that, that's the thing tenacity. Cause also it's the, it's both in the artistic creation side of it and the career side of it, you know, it's, yeah. You just have to keep persevering. Just keep it, going. It's disheartening. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There are those moments <laughs> where either you don't want to do it or you're, you just judge your work too hard or, 
yeah. any number of things can happen to kind of put you on the uh, contracting side of the yeah of the slope there. And yeah, you have to have some sort of trick to snap yourself out of it. Yeah. Or just maybe some personality trait. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I think it really is a situation where a lot of the artists who just don't give up are the ones who eventually succeed. There has to be some level of intellectual creativity, there has to be some level of talent, there has to be a few different things. But if you have those things, it's no guarantee. But if you just never quit, your chances go up exponentially. Yeah. I think that's my strategy is to just stick around long enough so that, uh, you know, I get led into the clubhouse or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, sweet, man. I think uh, as far as, as I go, that's that's the end of my questions for you. Do you have any Dude, this any, has been, anything you want to say at the end? Well, it's just been amazing. Like, uh, And I really appreciate because... Um, I really think about your work quite a bit and I think about what you must be thinking. It's so different from mine. So I appreciate, and the, I really appreciate all your insight into it too. I, so thank you. That's it. Awesome. Um, yeah. and nfncallion.com is where people can find yes, sir. a gallery mm-hmm. of your work and yep. same on Instagram, right? Same on Instagram. My Instagram's more up to date. I don't know. Do you do the same? Yeah. Like my website's like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually thinking about sort of revamping my website and changing the, the context in which I'm trying to present my work, you know? Yeah. So right now I'm, uh, I'm, I have like, I'm starting to, again, like trim the fat, focus on just, if I'm going to sell prints, making them just limited editions and the NFT thing is actually, uh, very intriguing to me. So I'm going to look more into that. I think you should do it. Yeah. Um, I a hundred percent think you should do it. You should look into, and let me see if there's anybody I know I can contact about, um, about getting you on, but you should, the, all, every platform has an application process. Cool. And when I've applied, I've gotten emails back from them. So I would recommend, um, doing that. You'll get, definitely get a response. Awesome. So, because you can do it, like I said, you can do it on your own. But then, if you go onto the platforms, they kind of curate and pipe it up a little bit, so then you get the clients coming in. Nice. So, anyways, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah, so man. much, Callion. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to finally like talk to you, if not in person, uh, digitally. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna link up in real life. Yeah. Maskless after this COVID thing, you know. Yeah, Basil next. Not the five this foot, year, the six foot thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. So, yeah, man. Well, sweet. Thanks so much, man. And Thank you. We'll check you later. Peace. All right, cool. Did they paint the painting or did the painting paint itself? One will never, 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 never. <laughs>